Welcome back to the Hemingway ASMR Hour. Tonight's episode is going to feature bubble wrap, like this. Oh, it's really loud in the microphone. Look at that. Oh, in Manoli. That's a little bubble wrap for you. Hope you enjoyed that. Now let's talk about... Uh, chapter 106. Oh, yeah. Sorry about yesterday's kerfuffle with the... Um, what did you call it? The cursed... A microphone. Um, I am Norwegian. Said the podcast episode is cursed. It sounds like you are malfunctioning, and uh, yeah, my um, voice programming box in my brain was malfunctioning. Um, yeah, so I had to do the podcast twice yesterday. That was bad. And then when I have to do it twice, you know, I'm going to rush the second one. So if you're just listening through the episodes, you'll be probably wondering why the previous episode to this was so bad, and that's why because I had to do it twice. Uh, what was the discussion from? Yay, life is meaningless. Swim said the mum of fish. He said, novel guide sums up this chapter quite nicely. All right, let's have it. At this point, I'm in my in the rolling my eyes stage and saying, oh, brother, used as an expression of frustration. Philip, as usual, contemplates the meaning of life and this time solves the riddle of Cronshaw's Persian carpet, which he had said held the meaning of life. Philip has the aha notion that life is meaningless and this frees him. He reaches a sort of existential understanding that life is not good or bad, it just is. What defeats us is our expectations that it must be one way or another. He had been thinking that Hayward's death was as useless as his life and feeling sick at all the lost years. His work at the store had also filled him with a sordidness of life as he watches all the people. Their features were distorted with paltry desires. Uh, if life is actually meaningless, then the world was robbed of its cruelty. At the same time, he feels a great energy to make something of life, for it would be a work of art and would be nonetheless beautiful because he alone know, knew of its existence. He alone knew of its existence. Um, yeah, so he's had that aha moment. Life's meaningless. Oh, wait, but you can still make life aesthetically pleasing. Make it a beautiful thing. Live life like it's a work of art. Who said that? Someone said that, probably. Um, what's this comment say? A lot of comments just pointing out that the podcast was broken. I'll probably skip through them. Laura Weistich said, I wouldn't feel happy after those contemplations, but okay, Philip. Maybe he'll stop being so defensive and mean to his friends now. Yeah, you. I mean, don't hold your breath, is what I'd say to that. Captain Venoms said, I wonder if this newfound worldview will last. If I remember correctly, earlier in the novel, Philip tried to solve his conflicts with emotion by embracing cold, hard logic, and now it seems to me he's dealing with his emotions by not rejecting them but by standing above them, which seems to me pretty minute differences, but shrug emoji. Um, yeah, big shrug emoji. I think, um, yeah, I don't think it will last, right? People always have these little existential moments and then they have a big aha moment, but then you just end up living your life again, don't you? You just become yourself again, don't you? You do. Give it a minute, you just go back to your old habits. Um, all right. Let's read the next chapter. Let's. Let's. Um... Oh, wait, I think I'm in the wrong spot here. I have to find the chapter. One moment, please. What was the end of this chapter? 
Philip was happy. Philip was happy. Where's that? I've lost my place completely here. Philip was happy. Okay. Alright, we're up to chapter 107. It goes like this. It's a medium-length chapter. That's good to see. Mr. Sampson, the buyer, took a fancy to Philip. Mr. Sampson was very dashing, and the girls in his department said they would not be surprised if he married one of the rich customers. He lived out of town and often impressed the assistants by putting on his evening clothes in the office. Sometimes he would be seen by those on sweeping duty coming in next morning still dressed, and they would wink gravely to one another while he went into his office and changed into a frock coat. On these occasions, having slipped out for a hurried breakfast, he would also wink at Philip as he walked up the stairs on his way back and rubbed his hands. What a night, what a night, he said. My word. He told Philip that he was the, one, the only gentleman there and he and Philip were the only fellows who knew what life was. Having said this, he changed his manner suddenly, called Philip Mr. Carey instead of old boy, assumed the importance due to his position as buyer, and put Philip back into his place as shopwalker. Lynn and Sedley received fashion papers from Paris once a week and adapted the costumes illustrated in them to the needs of their customers. Their clientele was peculiar. The most substantial part it consisted of women from the smaller manufacturing towns, who were too elegant to have their frocks made locally, and not sufficiently acquainted with London to discover good dressmakers within their means. Besides these, incongruously, was a large number of music hall artistes. This was a connection that Mr. Sampson had worked up for himself and took great pride in. They had begun by getting their stage costumes at Lynn's, and he had introduced, sorry, and he had induced many of them to get their other clothes there as well. As good as Paquin and half the price, he said. He had a persuasive, hail-fellow, well-met air with him which appealed to customers of this sort, and they said to one another, what's the good of throwing money away when you can get a coat and skirt at Lynn's that nobody knows don't come from Paris? Mr. Sampson was very proud of his friendship with the popular favourites whose frocks he made, and when he went out to dinner at two o'clock on Sunday with Miss Victoria Virgo, she was wearing that powder blue we made her, and I lay she didn't let on it come from us. I had to tell her myself that if I hadn't designed it with my own hands, I'd have said it must have come from Paquin. At her beautiful house in Tulse Hill, he regaled the department next day with abundant details. Philip had never paid much attention to women's clothes, but in course of time he began, a little amused at himself, to take a technical interest in them. He had an eye for colour, which was more highly trained than that of anyone in the department, and he had kept from his student days in Paris some knowledge of line. Mr. Sampson, an ignorant man, conscious of his incompetence, but with a shrewdness that enabled him to combine other people's suggestions, constantly asked the opinion of the assistants in his department in making up new designs, and he had the quickness to see that Philip's criticisms were valuable. But he was very jealous, and he would never allow that he took anyone's advice. When he had altered some drawing in accordance with Philip's suggestions, 
he always finished up by saying, well, it comes round to my own idea in the end. One day when Philip had been at the shop for five months, Miss Alice Antonia, the well-known serio comic, came in and asked to see Mr. Sampson. She was a large woman with flaxen hair and a boldly painted face, a metallic voice and the breezy manner of a comedienne. Accustomed to be on friendly terms with the gallery boys of provincial music halls, she had a new song and wished Mr. Sampson to design a costume for her. I want something striking, she said. I don't want any old thing, you know. I want something different from what anybody else has. Mr. Sampson, bland and familiar, said he was quite certain they could get her the very thing she desired. He showed her sketches. I know there's nothing here that would do, but I just wanted to show you the kind of thing I would suggest. Oh, no, that's not the sort of thing at all, she said, as she glanced at them impatiently. What I want is something that'll just hit them in the jaw and make their front teeth rattle. Yes, I quite understand, Miss Antonia, said the buyer, with a bland smile, but his eyes grew blank and stupid. I expect I shall have to pop over to Paris for it in the end. Oh, I think we can give you satisfaction, Miss Antonia. What you get in Paris you can get here. When she had swept out of the department, Mr. Sampson, a little worried, discussed the matter with Mrs. Hodges. She's a caution, and no mistake, said Mrs. Hodges. Alice, where art thou? remarked the buyer irritably, and thought he had scored a point against her. His ideas of music hall costumes had never gone beyond short skirts, a swirl of lace, and glittering sequins, but Miss Antonia had expressed herself on that subject in no uncertain terms. Oh, my aunt, she said and the invocation was uttered in such a tone as to indicate a rooted antipathy to anything so commonplace, even if she had not added that sequins gave her the sick. Mr. Sampson got out one or two ideas, but Mrs. Hodges told him frankly that she did not think they would do. It was she who gave Philip the suggestion. Can you draw, Phil? Why don't you try your hand and see what you can do? Philip bought a box of cheap watercolours, and in the evening, while Bell, the noisy lad of sixteen, whistling three notes, busied himself with stamps, he made one or two sketches. He remembered some of the costumes he had seen in Paris, and he adapted one of them, getting his effect from a combination of violent, unusual colours. The result amused him, and next morning he showed it to Mrs. Hodges. She was somewhat astonished, but took it at once to the buyer. It's unusual, he said. There's no denying that. It puzzled him, and at the same time, his trained eye saw that it would make up admirably. To save his face, he began making suggestions for altering it, but Mrs. Hodges, with more sense, advised him to show it to Miss Antonia as it was. It's neck or nothing with her, and she may take a fancy to it. It's a good deal more nothing than neck, said Mr. Sampson, looking at the décolletage. He can draw, can't he? Fancy I'm keeping him dark all this time. When Miss Antonia was announced, the buyer placed the design on the table in such a position that it must catch her eye the moment she was shown into his office. She pounced on it at once. "'What's that?' she said. "'Why can't I have that?' "'That's just an idea we got out for you,' said Mr. Sampson casually. "'Don't you like it?' "'Do I like it?' she said. "'Give me half a pint with a little drop of gin in it.' "'Ah, you see, you don't have to go to Paris. "'You've only got to say what you want, and there you are.' The work was put in hand at once, and Philip felt quite a thrill of satisfaction when he saw the costume completed. The buyer and Mrs. Hodges took all the credit of it, but he did not care, and when he went with them to the Tivoli to see Miss Antonia wear it for the first time, he was filled with elation. In answer to her question, 
he at last told Mr. Hodges how he had learnt to draw, fearing that the people he lived with would think he wanted to put on airs. He had always taken the greatest care to say nothing about his past occupations, and she repeated with information to Mr. Sampson. The buyer said nothing to him on the subject, but began to treat him a little more deferentially, and presently gave him designs to do two to do for two of the country customers they met with satisfaction then he began to speak to his clients of a clever young fellow paris art student you know who worked for him and soon philip ensconced behind a screen in his shirt sleeves was drawing from morning till night sometimes he was so busy that he had to dine at three with stragglers he liked it because there were few of them and they were all too tired to talk the food also was better for it consisted of what was left over from the buyer's table Philip's rise from shopwalker to designer of costumes had a great effect on the department. He realised that he was an object of envy. Harris, the assistant with the queer-shaped head, who was the first person he had known at the shop and had attached himself to Philip, could not conceal his bitterness. Some people have all the luck, he said. You'll be a buyer yourself one of these days, and we shall all be calling you sir. He told Philip that he should demand higher wages for notwithstanding the difficult work he was now engaged in, he received no more than the six shillings a week with which he started, but it was a ticklish matter to ask for a rise. The manager had a sardonic way of dealing with such applicants. Think you're worth more, do you? How do you think you're worth How much do you think you're worth, eh? The assistant, with his heart in his mouth, would suggest that he thought he ought to have another two shillings a week. Oh, very well. If you think you're worth it, you can have it. Then he paused, and sometimes with a steely eye added, and you can have your notice too. It was no use then to withdraw your request. You had to go. The manager's idea was that assistants who were dissatisfied did not work properly, and if they were not worth a rise, it was better to sack them at once. The result was that they never asked for one unless they were prepared to leave. Philip hesitated. He was a little suspicious of the men in his room, who told him that the buyer could not do without him. They were decent fellows, but their sense of humour was primitive, and it would have seemed funny to them if they had persuaded Philip to ask for more wages, and he was sacked. He could not forget the mortification he had suffered in looking for work. He did not wish to expose himself to that again, and he knew there was a small chance of his getting elsewhere a post as designer. There were hundreds of people about who could draw as well as he. But he wanted money very badly. His clothes were worn out, and the heavy carpets rotted his socks and boots, he had almost persuaded himself to take the venturesome step when one morning, passing up from breakfast in the basement through the passage that led to the manager's office, he saw a queue of men waiting in answer to an advertisement. There were about a hundred of them, and whichever was engaged would be offered his keep and the same six shillings a week that Philip had. He saw some of them cast envious glances at him because he had employment. It would make him shudder. He dared not risk it. All right, there we go. Philip, now is a clothing designer. Cool. Have your say about this one over at the subreddit. Thanks very much for listening, and I will see you tomorrow.